Hello, friends. It's September 17th. I hope you're ready for some tremendous passages from God's Word today. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast, and I'm your host, David McAdam. Today, we are reading from the prophet Isaiah, and we're starting with a powerful picture of the future reality in the kingdom of the Messiah. We are using the One Year Bible Reading Plan and are covering a lot of ground today, so we want to get started. Let's go to the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And if you are familiar with the Bible, as you read along with me, you might think that we are in the New Testament book of Revelation, where God wipes away every tear from our eyes. We will start reading Isaiah chapter 25, which reminds us of Christ's victory, that the last enemy of death will be destroyed. So here we go. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 1. God will swallow up death forever. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name. For you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab shall be trampled down in his place, as straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it, as a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride together with the skill of his hands. And the high fortifications of his walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, to the dust. Chapter 26 You Keep Him in Perfect Peace In that day this song will be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates, that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock, for he has humbled the inhabitants of the height the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it low to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it, the feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The path of the righteous is level. You make level the way of righteousness. 
In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. If favor is shown to the wicked, he does not learn righteousness. In the land of uprightness, he deals corruptly and does not see the majesty of the Lord. O Lord, your hand is lifted up, but they do not see it. Let them see your zeal for your people and be ashamed. Let the fire for your adversaries consume them. O Lord, you will ordain peace for us, for you have indeed done for us all our works. O Lord our God, other lords besides you have ruled over us, but your name alone we bring to remembrance. They are dead, they will not live, they are shades, they will not arise. To that end you have visited them with destruction and wiped out all remembrance of them. But you have increased the nation, O Lord, you have increased the nation, you are glorified, you have enlarged all the borders of the land. O Lord, in distress they sought you, they poured out a whispered prayer when your discipline was upon them. Like a pregnant woman who writhes and cries out in her pangs when she is near to giving birth, so were we because of you, O Lord. We were pregnant, we writhed, but we have given birth to wind. We have accomplished no deliverance in the earth, and the inhabitants of the world have not fallen. Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. Come, my people, enter your chambers, and shut your doors behind you. Hide yourselves for a little while, until the fury has passed by. For behold, the Lord is coming out from his place to punish the inhabitants of the earth for their iniquity, and the earth will disclose the blood shed on it, and will no more cover its slain. Chapter 27 The Redemption of Israel In that day the Lord with his hard and great and strong sword will punish Leviathan, the fleeing serpent, Leviathan, the twisting serpent, and he will slay the dragon that is in the sea. In that day, a pleasant vineyard, sing of it. I, the Lord, am its keeper. Every moment I water it, lest anyone punish it. I keep it night and day. I have no wrath. Would that I had thorns and briars to battle. I would march against them. I would burn them up together. Or let them lay hold of my protection. Let them make peace with me. Let them make peace with me. In days to come, Jacob shall take root. Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Has he struck them as he struck those who struck them? Or have they been slain as their slayers were slain? Measure by measure, by exile you contended with them. He removed them with his fierce breath in the day of the east wind. Therefore, by this, the guilt of Jacob will be atoned for. And this will be the full fruit of the removal of his sin when he makes all the stones of the altars like chalk stones crushed to pieces. No asherim or incense altars will remain standing. For the fortified city is solitary, a habitation deserted and forsaken like the wilderness. There the calf grazes, there it lies down and strips its branches. When its boughs are dry, they are broken. Women come and make a fire of them. 
for this is a people without discernment. Therefore he who made them will not have compassion on them. He who formed them will show them no favor. In that day, from the river Euphrates to the brook of Egypt, the Lord will thresh out the grain, and you will be gleaned one by one, O people of Israel. And in that day a great trumpet will be blown, and those who were lost in the land of Assyria and those who were driven out to the land of Egypt will come and worship the Lord on the holy mountain at Jerusalem. Chapter 28 Judgment on Ephraim and Jerusalem Ah, the proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley of those overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord has one who is mighty and strong. Like a storm of hail, a destroying tempest, like a storm of mighty overflowing waters, he casts down to the earth with his hand. The proud crown of the drunkards of Ephraim will be trodden underfoot, and the fading flower of its glorious beauty, which is on the head of the rich valley, will be like a first ripe fig before the summer. When someone sees it, he swallows it as soon as it is in his hand. In that day the Lord of hosts will be a crown of glory and a diadem of beauty to the remnant of his people, and a spirit of justice to him who sits in judgment, and strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. These also reel with wine and stagger with strong drink. The priest and the prophet reel with strong drink. They are swallowed by wine. They stagger with strong drink. They reel in vision. They stumble in giving judgment. For all tables are full of filthy vomit with no space left. To whom will he teach knowledge? And to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast? For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. For by people of strange lips and with a foreign tongue, the Lord will speak to this people to whom he has said, This is rest, give rest to the weary, and this is repose. Yet they would not hear. And the word of the Lord will be to them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little, that they may go and fall backward, and be broken, and snared, and taken. And this is the end of today's reading from the Old Testament, from the prophet Isaiah. Now let's take a few moments to reflect upon what we have just read. Today's biblical tour guide trip through the prophetic territory of chapters 25 through 28 of the book of Isaiah offers some breathtaking views. Some of my favorite lookout vistas that we have seen so far of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ are here in today's reading. Isaiah's prophecies focus on history's God-glorifying goal, the establishment of Christ's kingdom through righteousness, his finished work of redemption. He is coming to reign in righteousness and fill the earth with the knowledge of his glory. We see this promise being realized progressively in the hearts of true believers today, and we will see it ultimately realized when Christ returns. Isaiah's prophecy in chapter 25 begins like a psalm. You may be familiar with the opening words as they are sometimes sung in worship choruses. O Lord, you are my God, I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness you have done marvelous things. Isaiah chapter 25 verse 1. However, the popular worship chorus omits the end of the verse, the reference to the predeterminate counsel of God, 
things planned long ago. It also does not explain that the marvelous things planned long ago were the righteous judgments that were to come upon the world system of unbelief in chapter 25, verses 2 through 5. As Christ comes to reign as king, he first comes as judge, bringing low the pride of humanity and putting all the enemy forces of evil at bay. The righteousness of God will be fully vindicated in his judgments as well as his mercies. Isaiah sees this clearly. He sees God's righteousness and mercy on display in the past, present, and future of history. Isaiah praises God with gospel truth. You have been a refuge for the poor in the past. You silence the uproar of foreigner in the present. He will swallow up death in the future. The gospel of Jesus Christ offers perfect forgiveness to shelter us from condemnation for our guilty past. The gospel offers His presence as a comfort and protector in the present moment. It offers us His assurance of resurrection glory to dispel all fear of the future. In verse 5, we read on the mountain of the Lord Almighty. We have been learning that in the language of this prophet, a mountain is a symbol of governmental authority. The mountain of the Lord speaks of the government of God and the kingdom reign of Christ on the earth. When Christ returns to reign on the earth, we will experience the abundance of His provision in chapter 25, verse 6, the dispelling of all Satan's lies that blind the minds of the nations in verse 7, and the resurrection unto deathless life in God's presence to share partnership in His kingdom reign on the earth for the believer in verse 8. Notice the similarities between Isaiah's vision and that of the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. In Isaiah chapter 25, verse 8, He will swallow up death for all time, and the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and He will remove the reproach of His people from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And in Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no longer any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, the first things have passed away. The mountain of the Lord speaks of the government of God established through Christ and mediated to the heart of the believer by the Holy Spirit. In contrast, Moab symbolizes that which wars against the knowledge of God's glory. Moab is a type of the flesh that wars against the Spirit. The Apostle Paul uses this imagery when he teaches New Testament believers to walk in the Spirit so that they do not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, he teaches believers that the weapons of their warfare do not come from their old nature in Adam, that is the flesh. They are to refute the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, and we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3-6 through 6. Paul sees a correlation between the destruction of fortresses in the Isaiah prophecy picturing the progress of the people in personal sanctification. The unassailable fortifications of your walls he will bring down, lay low, and cast to the ground, even to the dust. Isaiah chapter 25, verse 12. 
Notice all the references to what will occur in the future, in that day. Remember, we spoke of the day of the Lord having two parts. The first part of the day is the darkness of night coming at sundown. This represents the judgment of the Lord falling upon sin. This is followed by the day of God's reign and righteousness established in human hearts and upon the earth. We can experience this future reality of the kingdom of God in our hearts in the present moment. The steadfast of mind you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3. We can experience his kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy through the Holy Spirit if we are steadfast of mind and are putting our trust in Christ moment by moment. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 14 verse 17. How wonderful it is to know that there is so much of the not yet kingdom that we can experience today. Walking in the Spirit, in Romans chapter 8, verse 4, Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 and 25, involves walking in the law of love, in John chapter 13, verse 34, chapter 15, verse 12, and verse 17, Romans chapter 13, verse 8 and 10, Galatians chapter 5, verse 14 and 23, James chapter 2, verse 8, and 1 John chapter 3, verse 23, and 2 John chapter 1, verses 5 to 6, the law of liberty in James chapter 1 verse 25 and chapter 2 verse 12, the law of Christ in Romans chapter 10 verse 4 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 21 and Galatians chapter 6 verse 2, and the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus in Romans chapter 8 verse 2. You can see how walking in the spirit and walking in love fulfills the law. Indeed, while following the way of your judgments, that is your laws, O Lord, we have waited for you eagerly. Even your memory is the desire of our souls. Isaiah chapter 26 verse 8. Notice the promise of the resurrection of our physical bodies in Isaiah chapter 26 verse 19. Your dead will live, their corpses will rise. You who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy, for your dew is as the dew of the dawn, and the earth will give birth to the departed spirits. The Old Testament affirms what we read in the New Testament. There is life after death, physical life in a physical body. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 53. Dead believers will arise with new bodies that are like the one that Jesus had when he was raised from the dead. This important fact is part of our blessed hope. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory, by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Other passages in the Old Testament refer to the believer being resurrected after death in a new body. Job chapter 19, verse 26, Psalm 16, verse 10, and Daniel chapter 12, 
verse 2 and verse 13. Other accomplishments of the Lord in that day include his putting to death the Antichrist and the false prophet, the Leviathan, described here as the fleeing and twisted serpent, and the dragon that is in the sea, referring to Satan, in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 1, and Revelation chapter 13. In that day, Israel will be grafted into the true vine and will be a pleasant vineyard. All enemies will be at bay in the millennial kingdom. The whole world will benefit from Israel's fruit. The Lord has chastened Israel with judgment and exile, but she has repented, turned away from her idolatries, and has worshipped the Lord. The enemy's strongholds are broken down and inhabited by those who lack discernment. The blowing of the trumpet in Isaiah chapter 27 verse 13 makes us think of the trumpet judgments in the book of Revelation that emerge when the seventh seal is broken in Revelation chapter 8. Chapter 28 is another prophecy of judgment upon the northern kingdom of Israel, referred to here as Ephraim. Israel is described as a fading flower, a first ripe fig, that is a fig that appears to be ripe but is not. When one eats it, they are surprised to find that it is disappointing. The kingdom of God, however, is not disappointing. In that day, the Lord of hosts will become a beautiful crown and a glorious diadem for the remnant of his people, a spirit of justice for him who sits in judgment, a strength to those who repel the onslaught at the gate. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 5 and 6. Israel is deceived into false righteousness, imagining that it has a right standing through its law-keeping. For he says, Order on order, order on order, line on line, line on line, a little here, a little there. Isaiah chapter 28, verse 10. Law-keeping produces a relative righteousness at best, only a little here and there. Jesus offers a better way. Rest in him and what he has accomplished. He who said to them, Here is rest, give rest to the weary, and here is repose but they would not listen. Isaiah 28, verse 12. Jesus fulfills this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is such a contrast to the burdensome yoke of law-keeping that no one, Jew or Gentile, is able to bear. Now let's move on to our New Testament reading from the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 10 through 22. The righteous shall live by faith. Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, 
but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God, so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, it no longer comes by promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Why then the law? It was added because of transgressions, until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. And this concludes our reading from the New Testament passage from Paul's letter to the Galatians. The Apostle Paul continues to prove that God never intended conformity to the law to be the means of a person's justification before God. The law cannot save anyone. Paul uses the curse motif to describe how the law condemns us and how Christ justifies us. The law concludes that all have sinned in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. As far as Adam's race goes, there is none righteous, no, not even one, in Romans chapter 3, verse 10. Everyone stands condemned under the law and therefore under its curse. Paul refers to Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. This law can do nothing to reverse the condemnation. However, Christ fulfills the law on our behalf as our substitute. His righteousness merits the blessing of the law, Yet he willingly identified with the transgressors of the law by taking the punishment the transgressor deserves. He took the curse of the law upon himself when he hung on the cross. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23, we read, If a man has committed a sin worthy of death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his corpse shall not hang all night on the tree, but you shall surely bury him on the same day for he who is hanged is accursed of God, so that you do not defile your land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Jesus bore the punishment of the transgressor, that those who believe on him would not have to bear their own punishment. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Paul refers to Jesus being our curse-bearing substitute in order that we might receive the blessing that was promised to come to us through Abraham's seed, a new life in Christ through the Spirit, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul proves that the Judaizers are false teachers by putting the law of Moses in its proper context. Right from the beginning, salvation is offered freely through faith in God's promise of a Savior who would reconcile all things to Himself by becoming our sin-bearing substitute, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Colossians chapter 1, verses 20 to 23, and John's Gospel chapter 1, verse 29. If salvation is by grace through faith in the promise, what is the purpose of the law? Paul clarifies that the promise was given 430 years before the law of Moses. The law was not added as a new way to salvation, but because of the transgression of self-righteousness, the law was given to show the need for the Savior, the Messiah. 
It had no power to make a person righteous because it could not impart a righteous life. It was a shadow of the righteousness that God required and would be found and fully fulfilled in Christ. Faith does not annul the law of God. The law still gives us a picture of God's righteousness, the righteousness that God requires, just as a menu with photos gives you a picture of the desired meal, but you don't eat the menu. Let's go to our reading from the book of Psalms, Psalm 61, Lead Me to the Rock, to the choirmaster with stringed instruments of David. Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. For you, O God, have heard my vows, You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. This is a good psalm to remember when you're feeling overwhelmed. This is a psalm of David. He is feeling faint and inadequate. We don't know which particular episode made him feel this way. There were many incidents that might have provoked these feelings and this particular heart cry. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Psalm 61 verse 2 David knew that his only hope for true security was beyond his own reach. It could only be had through faith in God's grace. Grace is God doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is unmerited favor. God's favor towards the penitent sinner is to lift him up to himself and hide him in the refuge of the rock of his own righteousness, Christ Jesus. David's experience has taught him of this mercy. This encourages him to cry out once more. The Lord is a continual help in times of trouble. This is the heritage of all who trust in God's promise. God's faithfulness gives King David hope for the future. You have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. Psalm 61, verses 5 and 6. How wonderful to consider that David's Savior would be from among the many generations of his own seed after him. The last verse reminds us of an important quality of a worshiper and follower of the Lord Jesus, faithfulness to our commitments. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may pay my vows day by day. Psalm 61, verse 8. Now we bring today's excursion in our Bible reading tour to a close by going to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 23, verses 17 and 18. Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. This is a good reminder not to be distracted by or envious of the activities or possessions of others, but live with our eyes focused on pleasing our Creator and Redeemer. We live to please an audience of one. The measure of real success will be our conformity to Christ, not our conformity to our neighbor. Our worthy goal is to hear the Lord Jesus saying, Well done, when we finish our course. If we live this way, we will not be disappointed. Let's pray. 
O Lord, you are our God, and we will exalt you and praise your name. You have indeed done marvelous things that have been planned before the foundation of the world. We praise you for your righteous ways and for doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. You have provided for us a right standing with you in the person of your Son, in whom we have been made complete and accepted in your presence. We are grateful for the person of the Holy Spirit, who has established your rule in our hearts through the indwelling life of your Son. Help us to rely on Him for the fulfillment of our faith commitments. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, there you have it. We had some choice portions from the Bible today. God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow and continue our reading through Isaiah and Paul's letter to the Galatians and moving on in Psalms and Proverbs. If you'd like to know more about New Life Community Church and its ministries, or you'd like to subscribe to a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on the one-year Bible readings, you can go to our website, newlife.org. And if you have any questions or comments that you want to share with us, you can write us at podcast at newlife.org. So until next time, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all. Shalom.